0: You're listening to Washington Post Live's First Look podcast with Jonathan Capehart.
1: Welcome to First Look, Washington Post Live's one stop shop for news and analysis. I'm Jonathan Capehart, associate editor at the Washington Post. It's been just over 100 days since Republicans took control of the House, and Speaker Kevin McCarthy is contending with all sorts of discord within his caucus over a host of promises, including involving the the debt ceiling. Mariana Sotomayor is a congressional reporter for the Washington Post, and she joins me now. Mariana, welcome back to First Look. Glad to be here. Um, So the speaker finally unveiled his debt ceiling proposal on Wednesday, and Majority Leader Steve Scalise said he'd bring it to the floor next week, but they don't have the votes to pass it yet, do they? Why?
2: That's right, they don't have the votes, it seems to be, regardless of the issue moving from here on out, the question of whether they have the votes is a real one. And they were working since they being leadership and a number of people who have issues. So you have members of the Conservative Freedom Caucus, some of the more moderates, of course, they were in a room with leadership yesterday, just kind of working through a number of the proposals that are out there. Leadership came out of that meeting basically saying, this is it. This is the text of the bill. We're likely not going to rework it. So. It's one of those moments where leadership is putting their foot down, telling, hey, moderates, hey, Freedom Caucus, I know you would like this to be different, but we just have to get this through. And something that we've been hearing from a number of people who've been part of these negotiations for several weeks now is really the goal of this entire bill is just to get to 218 votes to pass it. Everyone knows that this is not going to be the bill. What they want it to serve is as a message to Biden saying, hey, look, we have passed this debt ceiling proposal. Can you come to the table now? Because we all do know that whatever gets passed has to be bipartisan. So they're really just looking at it as a a moment to entice Biden to come back, negotiate with McCarthy, because that's really when we're going to see whatever the final deal is emerge.
1: Okay, so there's so much in there. I'm, I've got all these other prepared questions, but I want to dive in here. So what? Ha- I mean, doesn't the speaker risk even more damage to his credibility if his debt ceiling proposal doesn't pass on the first go around? Is there any concern among um, the Republican leadership that that is a, could possibly happen?
2: Yeah, that could happen, and that's something that they're very much trying to prevent. And, you know, there are other issues in the background that are definitely not as big as this, where those are the same questions. Uh, You know, McCarthy, as really, he signed on to be speaker. He was able to get through those very, very long days after he finally said, hey, you guys can oust me with just one person bringing that motion to the floor, that could be brought up at any time when I'm privately, you know, members have been telling me that they don't think that that's going to happen with the debt ceiling. A lot of, especially the conservative members know that, there are going to be different points and times where they can cut spending. That's really their biggest issue. So they might not be able to get it here with the debt. They also now finally understand, after leadership has done a number of education classes, that defaulting does not is not the same as shutting down the government for a couple of weeks. It has way more many economic and global consequences. So they don't necessarily want to be blamed for that either. So conservatives are still keeping their eye on McCarthy and leadership and maybe we'll be fine with sinking the bill, but we're not getting that sense right now because they still have a lot more to gain down the line if they play ball right now.
1: Okay, I'm I'm happy to hear that leadership has done education classes so that folks understand the difference between default and shutting down the government. Next question, correct me if I'm wrong. The Republican majority still hasn't presented a budget plan, an FY20 24 budget, am I right in that? That is correct, yes. Okay, so one of the the, the negotiating stance of the White House and President Biden is he will not negotiate over the debt ceiling. He says, and the administration says, if you wanna talk spending cuts and everything, let's have that be a separate conversation. And I wanna play something that President Biden said earlier this week, which gets at, at, why he doesn't want
0: to do that. Listen, massive cuts in programs you count on, massive benefit protected for those at the top. A lot of, you know, all the tax cuts go to the top, none to the bottom. The threat of defaulting on America's debt for the first time in 230 years, we've never ever defaulted on the debt and it would destroy this economy.
1: And it's because of that, it's because of that threat, and that you know that it would destroy the economy, as the president said, is why he and the White House is saying, let's raise the debt ceiling, um, because that has to do with stuff already purchased, and then we can have the conversations, the real conversations about how to get spending, uh, rein in spending. So where. Where does this end, <laughs> Marion is basically what I'm getting to. Getting to.
2: <laughs> you know, I have had that nervous laugh many times in the last couple of weeks, just simply talking to Republicans who are also nervous laughing about this, which is never good. Um, so I don't know how this is going to play out, but there are several things here. As much as Biden has actually been saying, you know, we just should raise the debt cleanly, there are a number, very small number of Democrats who would also like to see spending cuts, none more publicly than Senator Joe Manchin, for example. So it might get tricky. That doesn't mean like, at the end of the day, on the X date of default eve, that maybe everyone comes together because they know they're in a bad spot. But right now, Biden's own ask may not be able to happen among House Democrats and also some Senate Democrats. So that is one thing. When it comes to the budget, Republicans are privately admitting they might not even have one. So that is something that's being telegraphed also, that we need to come to the table right now, I know, to talk at least about the debt ceiling. They would like to make their cuts here, but the budgetary process is going to take so much. It's just going to take longer. And I think that's why you have seen in the last couple of weeks a number of House Republicans are publicly now saying, you know, this is significantly trickier. I don't know if we're going to get there. And that is where that anxiety is stemming from.
1: I want to make sure I heard you right. They might not have a budget.
2: Yeah, they may not have a budget. That doesn't mean you know there's five families. They're all ideologically different. They're putting out their proposals, but it's likely they will put out a budget. But whether they can get 218 votes for that budget. That's the issue. And that's where you hear a number of Republicans privately saying it's likely maybe that's where you're going to see the motion to vacate McCarthy.
1: Okay, so our whole conversation has been about whether or not uh, Speaker McCarthy can hit the magic 218 just to get out his debt ceiling proposal, potentially get out a budget if they decide to do one. What we haven't talked about is what happens when it goes to the Senate?
2: All of those things will likely die. Like the death ceiling bill, as much as it is to get it through among Republicans, all 218 votes that they need, it's just not gonna go anywhere in the Senate.
1: Hmm. And so then, um, insert nervous laughter here, then what happens?
2: As Well, what House Republicans would like to happen is, OK, the ball is literally in the Senate's court. Senator Chuck Schumer, please come to the table. President Joe Biden, please come to the table. There are Republicans who are behind McCarthy in that ass. They do think that they they can't just negotiate with themselves because they also acknowledge that both the Senate and the White House is under Democratic control. So we might see movement there. It really will be just watching what the White House says after that, if Republicans next week are able to pass the debt ceiling, maybe those negotiations start in May, because it's quite possible the X date is as soon as early June. So they're really going to have to pick up the pace here.
1: Right. And that's as a result of a, a report out by a big investment bank. I can't remember. I want to say J.P. Moore or Goldman Sachs, but I, I don't don't hold me to that. Sounds One clear. other variable yeah. that I'm not going to ask you about, but I'll ask the roundtable about is um, the 2011 debt ceiling fight, I think, hangs, looms over all of this. And Joe Biden was there for it. Uh, Mitch McConnell was there for it. Speaker McCarthy at the time, I think, was a, was around for it. Uh, I'm going to ask the opinions, folks, about how much of a specter that is hanging over all of this. Mariana Sotomayor, congressional reporter for The Washington Post, as always, thank you for coming to First Look. Have a good weekend. Thanks, you too. And we're going to keep the conversation going with our opinions roundtable in just a moment. Let's go to the opinion side of The Washington Post, where we'll find Washington Post columnist Jennifer Rubin, and EJ, Dion, EJ Jennifer, welcome back to First Look. Great to
0: be with you both.
1: Okay, we've got a lot to talk about, not a whole lot of time, but I wanna pick up um, with the, the last thing that I mentioned to Mariana, which is the 2011 debt ceiling fight, which was like the first time in our history that we came very close to defaulting. And Republicans then were trying to exert concessions or squeeze out concessions from then President Obama, which they were able to do. I think sequestration and all of that came out of out of that fight. How much, um, EJ? I'll start with you on this. How much do you think then Vice Pre- President Biden, who was then Vice President, how much his experience in 2011 negotiating with um, then Senate Majority Leader uh, Mitch McConnell over the debt ceiling fight? is what's informing his very um, uh, recalcitrant line of not negotiating over the debt ceiling.
0: Well, I think the premise of your question is absolutely right. I think the Democrats and Biden do not want to relive 2011. They feel number one, they have the high ground. Number two, these Republican cuts in this uh, bill that McCarthy is trying to get through the House are really, really steep. They kind of disguise them by saying, well, we'll freeze and go back to 2022. But when you look at the numbers and what that means for programs or what these so-called work requirements really mean, these are draconian cuts. Biden does not want to mess up the American economy either by getting close to default or by agreeing to all kinds of steep cuts. And I think he believes... Uh, and Democrats believe that they have the high ground here and that eventually uh, there will be some of those 18 uh, Republicans who represent districts that Joe Biden carried. Um, some of those districts Biden carried by quite a lot uh, that they will eventually say we can't go along with our leadership anymore. It's going to be a real test how uh, if all of them vote uh, with right. McCarthy next week. So, I mean, there's a risk here because you probably go all the way to the edge. Uh, And so that's the risk of the Biden strategy, but he'd rather pursue that than go back to 2011. Right, and the
1: last time, Jennifer, they went all the way to the edge, the United States for the first time ever had its credit rating downgraded uh, a a notch. So what do you think is going on here too?
3: I think that E.J. has it exactly right. I think there were two lessons from 2011. One is that you can't even get close because things like um, the bond companies, uh, the bond rating companies, uh, relook at your credit. So there's a danger to the markets. There's a danger to the economy, which is already, as you know, just coming out of a recession, trying to battle with both inflation and the threat of recession. So they don't want to do that And the other is that this White House looks upon 2011 and the sequestration as a mistake, that we tied ourselves to low uh, spending numbers, that we lost a number of years of investment as they see it in the economy. And they feel as if they've just begun to make that up with the CHIPS bill, with the infrastructure bill. They feel like we are now making the investments for long term Uh, transformative growth um, for the country, not only in terms of our overall top line, but because uh, they really feel that there are parts of the country which have needed investment, which they're finally making. Ironically, those are many of the red states um, who are represented by these people who seem not to care about the consequences of the positions they're holding. So um, I think this administration feels very strongly that when they explain to the American people that you cannot um, blow up the economy for the sake of, uh, you know, whatever political point you think you're going to gain. And that, as E.J. says, we're talking about cuts to veterans. We're talking about um, cuts to uh, national security that is not uh, urgent. In other words, uh, law enforcement, we're talking about um, really all the functions of government um, that you can't go down this road. That that would be taking us back, and that would be a recipe for um, recession um, and to short circuit the gains they think they've made.
1: You know, to to your point, I I interviewed Cleveland Mayor Justin Bibb for for my Sunday show. Democratic mayor in a red state who said took a look at the at the bill and said the cuts to the climate stuff and the green tax credits would be devastating. To Cleveland um, in Ohio. So, um, you know, th- th- this is all going to be r- really interesting to watch. All right, <clears throat> let's talk more broadly about what's been happening in the Republican controlled House. They hit the 100 day mark uh, this week. Um, Jennifer, what do they
3: have to show for it? really nothing. Um, And frankly, one of the things they wanted to accomplish was to have these great hearings where they were going to uncover all kinds of bad things about the administration. They were going to embarrass the administration. They have been a total, utter bust. Um, It turns out that these people are not only incompetent when it comes to advancing the agenda, they're incompetent when it comes to running a hearing. And these things have either just been duds, or they've in fact backfired with witnesses (laughs) bringing up um, uncomfortable facts like um, the Trump White House trying to pressure Twitter, not the Democrats. Mm-hmm. So I think they must be disappointed. I think there are a lot of rumblings that uh, Comer, um, who is in charge of one of them, and Jordan, who is in charge of another, really haven't accomplished anything. And they raised expectations very high. They haven't delivered. And now they don't have anything to show for it. And mm-hmm. frankly, they've taken some votes um, on things they know are not going anywhere in the Senate. And once more, they've backed themselves into a position where um, when the general election comes around, some of these votes are going to be used against those 18 members who are sitting in Biden's seats. They're going to ask them why they took votes um, to further restrict abortion. They're going to ask them why they took uh, votes to single out uh, trans kids. And those votes are not going to be helpful for those 18 or so folks um, who have to go before an electorate that elected Joe Biden last time. And
1: you know, EJ, to pick up on Jennifer's point about Republicans taking some votes not going anywhere in the Senate, one of them they're about to do on on um, McCarthy's debt ceiling proposal. I'm just wondering, they don't even have, as Mariana just reported, they Speaker McCarthy doesn't even have the magic number of 218 yet. How damaging damaging will it be to the Speaker if his debt ceiling budget thingy does? Thingy doesn't pass on the first try.
0: Thingy is a pretty good description of it because it gets at its co- in- coherence or actually a lack thereof. Um, you know, I think if they don't have the votes, they won't bring it up. Uh, if it unless they really want to roll the dice and try to force some moderates to vote for it. Jim Clyburn on the Democratic side, a good vote counter, thinks they will have the votes. We'll see. Uh, about that. Uh, But I think that this is not a, this is a lose lose for Republicans. I think Uh, if they pass the thing, it means a lot of these relatively moderate or moderate conservatives are going to have to vote for stuff that is going to prove to be very unpopular. will make some excellent 30 second ads against them. Um, That's if it passes, if it doesn't pass, as you say, it shows how much trouble the Republicans are having governing. And it is worth comparing what Nancy Pelosi did with a majority this small versus what Kevin McCarthy is doing with a majority this small. Um, It may be that for all the divisions in the Democratic Party, and they certainly exist, the divisions within the Republican Party may actually be more uh, difficult to manage. All right, we've got three big topics and not a whole lot of
1: time, so let's just be quick. The Fox-Dominion lawsuit, just um, your reactions to the really staggering $787.5 million settlement that Fox agreed to pay Dominion voting systems um, after Dominion brought that, that defamation lawsuit. What impact do you think all of this is going to have on that network. Jennifer, you go first.
3: I think, first of all, you don't pay that kind of money um, when you think you're going to win a trial. So obviously they knew they had Mm -hmm. a problem, Second, the judge already held that they had put out falsehoods. Um, So if you wanna make the case that this is a network that doesn't care about the truth, um, the evidence is already there. Lastly, I would say this is just the beginning of their troubles. They're gonna have shareholder lawsuits. They have a smart tech lawsuit, another uh, company that uh, believes it was defamed. So uh, this is just the beginning and they're gonna be paying a lot of money and gonna have uh, future admissions. But I would say the one verdict, we have already gotten to show that the big lie was legally a big lie, was Mr. Pillow. He had to pay $5 million (laughs) because he challenged people to say that the election really wasn't stolen. And this guy did. He's been ordered to pay the money. We now have a legal ruling that the big lie was, in fact, a lie.
0: Uh, E.J.? Um, I agree with everything Jennifer said, and it is nice that the Mr. Pillow ruling came around the same time as the uh, ruling against Fox. A lot of people would have liked to see a trial, a lot of critics of Fox, see Tucker Carlson, Laura Ingram, uh, and of course, uh, Rupert Murdoch uh, go on the stand. Um, But it's not clear to me that a trial would have gone, it would have become as easy a uh, case against Fox as what they have already admitted to. I think what's really powerful about what Dominion did is they got all these people on the record, basically dissing their own viewers, acknowledging that they didn't believe these lies, and then they broadcast them anyway. I think the problem is that our audiences are now kind of cocooned And the Fox audience is particularly cocooned. And so my worry, my I I don't know, my disappointment, I guess, is that I'm not sure this is going to have a big material effect on Fox. Although I agree with Jennifer that that Smartmatic suit and uh, a uh, shareholder action could be very significant and really uh, blow the thing open considerably more. Okay, next is um, uh, Trump v. DeSantis.
1: Um, A super PAC affiliated with Governor DeSantis has released an ad directly attacking Donald Trump. Um, Jennifer, how long can Governor DeSantis avoid um, directly attacking Donald Trump himself?
3: Well, he might wanna avoid it permanently because I don't see his campaign going anywhere. (laughs) Um, He has proven to be not only ineffective at punching back but a jerk. Um, And those of us who have followed him for a while um, were scratching our heads when everyone was making such a big deal about him because he is not a pleasant personality. He's not a charismatic individual. And lo and behold, that kind of stuff comes out. And I think the moment at which he threatened to put a prison next to Disneyland um, may prove to be his little Marco moment, the moment when people said, okay, forget it. This guy is not ready for prime time. So um, he probably still has visions of the president, um, I think the donors are starting to get very, very nervous. Um, and I think, um, listen, I'd give it a 50-50 shot that he enters the race still. And I'd give him a much lower odds of getting the nomination. I think he is not ready for prime time.
1: EJ, do you think his momentum has stalled? Because th- there's a poll out um, uh, uh, either yesterday or this morning that shows that the lead that DeSantis had over, double-digit lead that DeSantis had over Trump, earlier this year, late last year, has flipped, and he's behind by double digits.
0: Yeah, I just had it scribbled right next to me. It's a Wall Street Journal poll, You're right? It came out this morning. And a DeSantis lead of uh, 14 points uh, is now a Trump lead of 13 points, a 27-point swing. So I think what this shows is running as Trump without the personality is not a great... uh, option for uh, Republicans. There is a little bit of stuff in this poll that shows DeSantis has something, has potential going for him. His approval rating, favorable rating among Republicans is still high, higher than Trump. And uh, plurality of the same Republicans still think that uh, DeSantis would have a better shot at Biden. So I don't think it's all over yet. But I do think that these kind of numbers show why some of these super PACs, Uh, that support DeSantis are starting to go after Trump. Mm -hmm. And if he is gonna run, as I still suspect he will, he's gonna have to find a way to go after Trump. And given the kind of personality he has, it's not gonna be easy for him to land those punches.
1: Yeah, Um, and speaking of Biden, in the little bit of time we have left, lots of reporting at the Washington Post and other uh, news outlets that President Biden is expected to officially jump into the race for re-election sometime next week, maybe as early as Tuesday via video. Uh, um, Jennifer, you go first, but this is no surprise, right?
3: No, no everyone knew he was going to do it. Everyone knew that Kamala uh, Harris is going to be his running mate. So this makes it a little bit more formal. It activates some disclosure and some fundraising requirements, um, but we knew this was coming. And right now, the White House um, understands the country is closely divided. They know it's going to be a close race, even if they are running against Trump, which seems unbelievable, someone who is facing multiple indictments. Um, but I think they're increasingly comfortable about going out to the American people with their record, which in the first two years um, is one of uh, really remarkable, uh, achievement, uh, in particular, as you point out, because they had such slum majorities.
0: Mm-hmm. E. I think the biggest thing they have to do is sell their economic record, um, on top of the achievements. And I think it's very odd. The, the Economist magazine had, uh, just a glowing report on the state of the American economy. Um, and yet people still aren't feeling it. I, I think that there's there are two things going on. One is just a general sense that my life may not be so bad, but everything else is terrible. Um, I think that goes to the terrible political mood in the country and the deep divisions in the country. but there's still a lot of people who think they haven't sort of restored where they were before the pandemic. And so I think that's the big challenge for them is to show, hey, what we've done with the economy is pretty good, is is very good, actually, with this unemployment rate where it is. And then they got to pray that the interest rates don't throw us into recession. I think that is the biggest thing they have to worry about. Oh, great, E.J. And <laughs> <laughs> ending, ending on a
1: bit of a pessimistic note, but let's just Hope, fingers crossed, that no, there won't be a recession. Just in, in general. E.J. Dion, Jennifer Rubin, as always, thank you for coming to First Look. Have a great weekend.
3: You too. Thank you
1: for the upbeat end.
0: (laughs) (laughs) My job. That is my job. Thanks for listening. To always stay up to date with First Look, subscribe to Washington Post Live's First Look on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen.